You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Let's uh, go ahead and get started. Good to see you this morning, and uh, it's kind of nice to have some cold air out there, isn't it, and some rain, and really kind of nice. I want to remind you this Sunday, well, I haven't told you this, but uh, this Sunday, I'll be uh, joined on the stage if if you uh, are... If you go here regularly, it'll be a part of the service. If you don't, I want to invite you, um, you know, go to your regular church in the morning. If you want to come in the evening or something like that, uh, we'll have Bob Fu with us uh, this Sunday, and he'll be with us in all four services. If you don't know Bob Fu, I've talked to you about his book uh, that we'll have for sale and Mardell has for sale as well. Uh, and he'll just be up on stage with me talking about his life in China, his time teaching in the communist school, his, uh, his work with the house church movement than the things he does now. It'll be a great time, and uh, I got to spend some time with him yesterday, and I always, uh, I, I always hate those meetings where I'm with Bob Fu, because if you're ever with him, uh, you're never just with him alone. Um, there's two phones sitting there typically, and when he answers them, it could be anybody from, you know, the president, well, not now as president, it, it could have been uh, uh, the president or, um, or anybody else, and, and Yesterday, he was being interviewed while I was trying to get ready for Sunday's message. He, somebody called and it was some guy interviewing him and he's talking in Mandarin Chinese and then just starts talking to me in English, you know, and I just feel like an idiot. And uh, so then I go to Chick-fil-A after that and someone's speaking in Mandarin there and then Spanish and then English. And I'm like, golly, I'm an idiot. Um, But anyways, uh, I hope you can maybe do that. So as we begin, let's begin with a word of prayer as we kind of live here in Midland and have to watch the megalomaniacs in Washington, D.C. do what they do. We're left here to study the word and do life, but uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. We, we do not lightly thank you for rain and for the coolness outside, and, and we certainly do not lightly uh, regard the blessing of another day to walk with you. The fact that each of us have a calling on our lives, uh, the scriptures make clear that you do not uh, have any of us here just wasting time or taking up space, regardless of how we might perceive ourselves today. Father, you know my burden uh, in bringing today's teaching. I pray that you'd open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. For those who have already seen the chart and thought, He's done this a million times. Give each of us fresh eyes and do not let the message of Hebrews 3 pass us by. Help us to understand, uh, to comprehend, and to apply. Again, we ask for your blessing. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you do have this empty chart. Maybe you have last week's chart with you. Um, You may say, does this have anything to do with Hebrews? Uh, And I think it has everything to do with Hebrews. I still think Hebrews chapter 3 and to some extent chapter 4 are the most important chapters related to you and I in our daily walk in the book of Hebrews. The warning in Hebrews chapter 3, I believe, is so real and and so stark in our lives that if we miss it, uh, I'm just afraid we'll miss something very, very important. Uh, I will not be with you, by the way, next week, so uh, I'll be with you after that, but I'll be out of town. 
Uh, you'll have a guest speaker. And so uh, don't use that as a reason to skip, although I know who it is, so I'd probably skip. But anyways, uh, I'm just kidding. He's here, so, uh, and everybody's like, who is it? Uh, let's go to Hebrews chapter 3, and let me read some words to you, and then I'm going to take you to a few places to set the stage for this uh, diagram again. Hebrews chapter 3, I'm not going to read as, as much as I read last week but I am going to pick up again in verse 12. So take care. Boy, such important words, the Apostle Paul. Take care. It's almost him saying, you must pay attention to this. You can can almost hear your words to your children when you tell them, now take care about this. Listen to me about this. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Unbelieving is the critical issue that would lead you to fall away from the living God. That is not... A, let me use these words for you and then I'll define them. It is not a soteriological or salvific word. Now, some of you are like, what did he just say? Did he just cuss? That is a, that is, this is not a word about your salvation in the sense of keeping or losing. This is a, a phrase about losing, and I'll use this word, the benefit of the glory of your salvation. So Paul is saying, my brothers and sisters, Be very, very careful, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead you to push away from or even drift away from all that is yours in God through Jesus. But exhort each other every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you would be hardened, and that's that that systematic hardening that when you wake up one day, you realize, how did I get here? How did I get so hard? How did I get so disillusioned in the story of the children of Israel? How did we miss Canaan? In the story of Moses, how did he miss Canaan? And so he says, be careful that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now, I want you to look up a couple of more places with me. So let me take you through this as we go, we'll go to the whiteboard here in just a minute. Go to the left to the book of Philippians, okay? The book of Philippians. So if you just start turning pages, you pass Titus and 2nd and 1st Timothy and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st Thessalonians, Colossians, you'll get to Philippians pretty quick. Philippians chapter four. Let me remind you that the enemy, who is the enemy? The enemy's not your neighbor or politicians or your employer or your spouse the enemy is the enemy and the enemy satan through the work of his powers of darkness prince of the power of the air and all that is around him because paul tells us in ephesians we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and the unseen forces of this world the enemy always works in your legitimate needs okay let me make sure you hear that and some of you need to write it down The enemy always works in the realm of legitimate needs. Let me me explain that a little bit and I'll show you this in, in the word. The enemy does not start working on you in places of illegitimacy. In other words, the enemy always comes at you in a need God has given you. For instance, you say, well, show, show me that. Okay, I will. God created in Eve curiosity. 
God created in Eve the desire to eat. God created in Eve vision to see things and to wonder about those things. God created in Eve the desire to eat. God created in Eve the desire to know. He did not create her and Adam as some form of stupid, nonsensical person just running around naked. That's a man, basically. No, but he didn't. He just, he, he created her with legitimate needs. And the enemy did not come at her with some made-up need. He came to her in the deception around her legitimate needs. And he will always come at you in the realm of your legitimate needs, seeking to deceive you in the face of your legitimate needs to get you to not believe that God will meet your needs to your satisfaction. So look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Again, Philippians 4, 19. My God will supply every need you have according to all of his riches that are in glory in Christ Jesus. So when he redeemed you and saved you, he made a commitment to you by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Remember, jot these words down, uh, these verses. Here, I'll write them down so you can know them. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. I might be off a verse or two. 2 Corinthians 5, 5. And Ephesians... That's shorthand for Ephesians. One, I'm thinking it's about verse 13. All of these verses tell you that when you come to Christ, He seals you with His Holy Spirit. So when He sealed you, just as when He chose the children of Israel, He sealed you. He said, you're mine. He put, the, the, the literal definition of the Greek word for this, this sealing is earnest money. He made a deposit on your life. That's why when the Apostle Paul says that he has, he has sealed you for the day of redemption when he would come and finish his salvation in you. He made a commitment to you. And his commitment to you was, I'll meet every one of your needs because I created you with those needs. In the area of your greatest struggle is an area the enemy is deceiving you in the face of a legitimate need. Let me say that again. In the area of your greatest struggle is an area where the enemy has deceived you in the face of a legitimate need. So you're not in some, you're, you're, let me put it this way, you're not in an illegitimate place because of an illegitimate need. You're in an illegitimate place because the enemy has deceived you in the face of a legitimate need. Every time. Every single time you struggle, it is the enemy deceiving you in the face of a legitimate need. That's why this chart is going to become even more important. But I want you to again see every need you have is to be met first in Jesus. This is why when you and I seek to have the legitimate need of relationship met by people, if we do not have our legitimacy in our own relationship with Jesus right first, 
the enemy just starts picking away in our relationships with others and with our spouses. And it just continues in different areas. So I'm harping and I'm talking slow and, and some of you might be thinking, is he just trying to make this up as he goes? I'm just making sure you understand as you go through life, every legitimate need that God has designed as you in you is where the enemy starts pushing in. And if he can deceive, trick, um, manipulate you, because all he can do is deceive you. He cannot have you. And if he can continue to deceive you in the face of legitimate needs, here's my greatest fear. I'm gonna show you this in just a minute. If he can keep deceiving you, then he steals from you the rest God wants you to know. And remember in Hebrews chapter three, the rest that God wants you to have is a place of being settled in his presence. Something the children of Israel rejected. Why? Because throughout their journey, the enemy deceived them in the face of legitimate needs. Go back and read the story of the children of Israel. I told you this last week. Hunger, thirst, safety, security, all of those are legitimate needs. And the enemy just pounded away at those needs. So they said, God, did you bring us out here to die? I mean, we want to live. Legitimate need. But the enemy starts pushing away at that and cheapening that and destroying that. And as long as he can keep pushing away and deceiving you in that, the writer of Hebrews tells you, you become deceived by, the, by sin, which is me trying to satisfy a legitimate need illegitimately. And so as long as the enemy keeps working and I become hardened, then I forfeit the joy of the settled presence of God in my life and for my life. And if the enemy can do that in your life, if he can't have your soul, he can certainly steal your joy by deception in the face of legitimate needs while you live on this earth. So it doesn't matter how many wives you have, jobs you have, cars you drive, houses you inhabit, or hobbies you acquire. If he can continue to get you to try to satisfy legitimate needs in illegitimate ways outside of the riches of the glory of Christ, he will steal from you the settledness of your soul. Now, let me show you something. You guys follow me. You're really quiet today. So, I mean, we're just either haven't woken up or it's just too much this early. Are you with me? Are you, are, are you with me? Okay, good. Because I'm making sure I'm with myself. Okay, go to uh, the Old Testament. Go to the book of Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20. I'll show you something that happened. There, there are so many troubling places in scripture. I will confess to you, the longer I follow Jesus and the more I read his word, sometimes the more troubling the Lord becomes for me. Anybody else ever done that? Bobby, you ever experienced that? It, it becomes very difficult for me sometimes. Um, I was reading uh, in my quiet time last night. Before I went to bed, I was reading in Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was having an instance with some people and he said he beat them and pulled their hair out. That's why I went, really? Wow. Can I do that, Lord? Can I, can I, 
do that? And it just, uh, you know, and I always am troubled. If you do not understand that the New Testament without the Old Testament leaves you with an empty testament, then you're going to read through the Old Testament and you, you have to be disturbed by what God allows to happen in the Old Testament sometimes. He is a God-centered God. He is not a man-centered God. And if you don't, if you don't deal with that, when, he, when the Lord walks up and he tells them, slaughter the men, women, and children, you've got problems if you don't have the New Testament. If you don't have a fuller story of what's being done in Christ, you don't. And in fact, if, if, if you decide that you want to stand toe-to-toe with an Islamist, uh, you, you better be God-centered because your Old Testament's going to run you in circles too. He's God-centered. And if you don't run towards Jesus and the fulfillment of what Jesus did, uh, you're going to be lost. So Numbers chapter 20, rambling, um, verse 10. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly. They're complaining again. They're, they're thirsty, a legitimate need. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Now this is, God has told Moses to speak to the rock in earlier verses. Verse 11, And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me. Now, remember what the writer of Hebrews has told us. He, God did not say, Moses, you disobeyed me. What did he say? You did not believe me. Belief determines action, right? It does. If you, if you don't agree with that, you will. Belief determines action. You always act in accordance with what you believe. And, and so, and, and Moses has, has become hardened in some way because of things that are happening with the nation he's leading, who wouldn't. He says, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Mirabah, or quarreling, arguing, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. Now, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The next door neighbor is Deuteronomy. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy is the final message. It is a sermon. Deuteronomy is a sermon. So anytime you think I'm going long, just read Deuteronomy in one sitting. Okay, so Deuteronomy chapter 32. uh, Go to verse 48. Deuteronomy 32, verse 48. Deuteronomy 32, 48. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up to this mountain of the Abiram, Mount Nebo, which is in the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. As I read this, this I'm just telling you these this passage is one of the most heart-wrenching passages to me. He's telling Moses to go look across to the promised land, the place of God's rest. Then he tells him in verse 50, and die on the mountain which you go up and be gathered to your people as Aaron your brother died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people. 
because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Mirabah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zen because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Did Moses lose his salvation, so to speak? No. But he missed rest. And so, if you and I aren't careful, in fact, let me give you one more passage while we're still here. Go to chapter 34. Chapter 34. Let's just finish this story. Verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea. Can you imagine? He gets to see it. The Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab. That's interesting, because you know who the he is. Sometime later, read the book of Jude and see what battle took place between the enemy and God over just the body of Moses. An interesting deal. But I want you to remember this verse. Just write it down. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11. Because the very thing that caused Moses to miss Canaan was evident in his early life in Exodus chapter 2. Here's what happened. God was beginning to stir in him who he was. And he beheld injustice. And he wanted to do something about it. A legitimate passion. And yet, his temper caused him to kill someone. And that's what God used to drive him into the desert for 40 years. What was it that wrecked him and cost him Canaan? Any guesses? His temper. So I tell you, You need to pay attention to where you spin. Your besetting issue, and you say, does this have anything to do with Hebrews? Yes, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, lay aside the sin that so easily entangles you and the weight that constantly bears you down and fix your eyes on Jesus. I told you last week, every one of us in this room, to a man, know at least our top three besetting issues. We all do. Any man in here who says, you know, I don't know what my issues are. is either dead, well, there is no other option. You're just an idiot. I mean, I'm just telling you. I mean, if, you, if you're sitting there going, yeah, I, I, I don't know what my issues are. I'm gonna tell you what your issue is, you. You got more than the rest of us. I'm just, everyone in this room knows what besets you. And the reason it's so besetting to you is because there's a legitimate need 
the enemy is deceiving you in. And you must awake to it and let the spirit change you from the inside out so that God meets the legitimate need by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus because if you and I are not careful, this is to me the part that I just go, dear God, what would I possibly or what will I miss because of deception that leads me to unbelief, that causes me to disobey, that hardens me, and I could possibly see it, but miss it. I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm talking about your ultimate joy. I'm talking about finishing your race and running your course. Are you following me? Do you get what I'm talking about? Okay, let's go to the chart. I've laid enough. That was quite a 25-minute introduction. So, um... Let's just walk this carefully. Again, some of you have seen this many times. Uh, in the words of my precious bride, don't apologize, so I won't. She just said, just do it. Um, so this is, now if you look at the left-hand side of your chart, I told you this last week, it has an I and a T which is simply the word for issues and trials and tests. So think of it this way. You don't even have to fill in the blanks. Just, just write real needs, okay? It's where it all starts. Every test, every trial, and every issue is a place where the Lord is trying to teach you he will meet a legitimate need and be sufficient for you. And so the enemy knows that. And if the enemy knows that through every test and every trial, there's a legitimate need the Lord is trying to teach you that he is sufficient for you, then what am I trying to do as the enemy? Deceive you into believing that God will not meet your needs sufficiently. And by the way, he started on you, the enemy, when you were just a kid. When you were just a kid. I'll give you a for instance. If you grew up in a broken home. Then he started on the issue of trust in you early. If you grew up under the influence of non-godly male leadership, then he began working on you that someday you'll, you'll be that and began to call into question your identity and your purpose because even though you try as you may and you came to Christ and you're living this life, if he worked hard enough on you, which I promise you he did, and he worked on you through elementary school, junior high and high school, and then a few more issues in college, you constantly wrestle with the issue of whether you'll blow it as well. And you call into question your identity and your sufficiency. And, if you, and here's the pattern that oftentimes happens. If you continue to let that victory by the enemy be one in your life, eventually you will self-fulfill that by walking away from your family because that's what you were anyways. Wow, it is death-defyingly quiet in here. And he just does it to you. He, he legitimate, I'll give you one in my, one of mine, my personal life. And, and so cautiously, I, you know, I grew up in a broken family and, and I joke with my kids all the time because uh, my sister and I shared a polo, you know, polo shirts, you know, because it's all we could afford. So we shared a polo. And, um, 
and we just, that's just what we did. And, and I remember uh, that there were just things we could not do and could not afford. And that, and my mom, because of a scholarship I had obtained, sent me to a private school where I was surrounded by wealth all everywhere. My first car was a 1967 Mercury Capri. Piece of crap. And like the center on my football team, I was the quarterback, he drove a Porsche, 16th birthday, he got a Porsche 911. I'm like, jack wagon. I, I just, I, I'm parking my car as far from the front door of the school as I can park it. He's like, brum, brum, brum. I'm like, yeah. So when I got under him, sometimes I was like. So anyways, I just, um, So if you have a legitimate need to have your needs met, oftentimes that turns into a drive that ruins relationships because you're not gonna let anything get in your way. You understand what I'm talking about? And, 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 you know, and then it turns into sometimes anger when you look at your own kids and you see what you give them and then you start the speech, you know the speech. You know, when I was your age, and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and so you, 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 you need to think for a minute, you sit back and go, where have I been spending most of my life? Because before Moses was 40, the enemy had already picked the issue he would destroy him in. Got me? So long before you reached a certain age, I'm not gonna say what it is because a lot of you are probably close to 40 or over. He already knew where to get you. He already knew. He already knew the conversation in the hallway of elementary school that he could say, I got it. Watch this. He knew when your wife was molested that he would steal her sexuality from her. And he knew he could use it to start sowing seeds of trouble in your marriage because he stole from her and you hadn't realized it yet. You got me? Guys, this isn't just walking up to a magazine rack and buying a Playboy. That's kids' stuff. This is the enemy seeking to steal from you your joy and cause you to miss the settled presence. When God says in Acts 7 49, he says, I will cause my spirit to rest there. That's what he intends in your life. And the enemy by God knows that. This is not just in the sweet by and by. We will know him. This is not just dying and going to heaven and finally be away from this place. This is his settled presence now. And an enemy has known that since the day you could think. And he has strategically worked moments to pick away at you and he will not give up. That's why Paul says, I bear my cross and die. And Jesus says it, I die how often? Daily. And when Jesus says, I take up my cross, your cross to bear is not your job or your wife. Your cross to bear is your calling because in and through your cross is where God brings you his rest. The enemy keeps picking away at legitimate needs. So here they are. And as I've 
we've gone through this chart before. There are two responses. When I come back, we'll, we'll go upstairs. But let's, let's review downstairs again. Now remember, sin is not something you arrive at in this process. Sin begins the minute you head downstairs. Because sin is not just, I'll say it again, some of you could already finish the phrase. It is not just stealing cookies from the cookie jar, okay? Let me, let me stay in the, in the moment. Why do you go steal a cookie from the cookie jar? You're hungry and you want a cookie, right? I used to be a wrestler. Anybody used to wrestle? We called it wrestling in Oklahoma. And, and I wasn't allowed to eat cookies. I wasn't allowed to have breakfast or cereal with milk. I mean, it was just, I couldn't gain weight. And I was wrestling at the whopping weight of 44 at one time. So um, anyways, I remember literally sitting on the kitchen cabinet, reaching into the cookie jar and hearing my mother's voice. Are you getting a cookie? No, not yet. I mean, you know, so there's, it's not, it is, it is you trying to pursue a legitimate need outside of God's plan for you satisfying a legitimate need. Remember, the enemy always works in legitimate needs. It is not a separate category of illegitimate needs, legitimate needs. Sin is me seeking to satisfy a legitimate need in a non-God-centered way. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. To fall short of the glory of God is to satisfy a need outside of God. To not sin is to find satisfaction for my needs in Christ and to find that satisfaction. So you begin this, this is not a process leading to sin. This is a process because of satisfaction, a need for satisfaction. So remember what we told you last week, and I'm just gonna do these like I did them last week. It always begins with, I see, I want, or I think I deserve. And all this can occur in a matter of moments, a matter of seconds. Eve saw that the fruit was good. She desired it. She believed it was hers to take. And so she ate. There's the process. David saw her from his balcony, wanted her, thought he deserved her, took her. Saul, King Saul, Samuel said, do not offer a sacrifice until I get there. He saw the people were um, going crazy. He wanted to satisfy the need of the moment and calm people down. He thought he deserved to do what he wanted to do because he was the king. He offered sacrifices. Samuel walked up and said, you've lost your leadership. You follow? Cross the board. I see, I want, I think I deserve in the whole process. Now you can, you can go from I to deserve immediately, okay? I mean, you can walk in your home and, and your wife not greet you with holy kisses and kneeling and shouting and praise. And you go, I deserve better than this. And it's a bad night. Okay, you, you get what I'm saying? I mean, and, and so, you know, your kids don't say thank you. And by God, you deserve thank you. I'm gonna beat the crap out of you. That's not too funny sometimes. I deserve more at work. I want more. I see more. You see the whole process. You got it? You see what's happening here? All throughout the scriptures, you can't find a place that doesn't happen. Moses sees the people. He's tired of what, what he's seeing. He wants better. He thinks he deserves to not have to deal with these people. He hits the rock. 
he dies on a mountain only seeing the promised land. See, my concern for me is not that I would lose my salvation. I know I'm alive today because God's not finished with me yet. But I wonder what I'll miss because I satisfied myself rather than seeking his glory. And some of us will realize we have forfeited Canaan. But that's why you're told to invest in the next generation. Because you're alive to make sure they don't miss it. Do you hear me? Because some of us have forfeited some part of Canaan. But you're alive today because there's a Joshua who desperately needs you to invest in him so he can lead the next generation into the promised land. You got it? So don't sit there and wallow around in your failure and your guilt. Don't sit there and say, oh, I blew it, I messed up, I'm just gonna be in hiding the rest of my life. That's quitting. That is not fighting the fight. I don't care what your story is. I don't care what your sin is. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what you forfeited. If God were done with you, he'd pull you home. That's just biblical, that's just a fact. When he was done with Moses, he said, take a walk up on the mountain and die. We read it. Imagine God saying to you, hey, by the way, let's take a walk and we're gonna go die. I know some of us, quite honestly, would be like, please, that'd be a great day. But no, but he, so, guys, you, you're here today and I'm talking to those of you who know what it is to walk in Moses' shoes or sandals, case may be, and know you're gonna miss a Canaan. But there's still a Canaan for the next generation whether it's this nation or the church or the world. And for you to sit back and to consider yourself as someone who is of no longer any use is to betray the calling God put on your life when he awoke you this morning, whether by an alarm or by nature. Are you hearing me? There is not one man in this room who does not have a Joshua attached to him. You may not see him and you may not know his name, but he is watching you. Let's just pray. We'll come back in two weeks and wreck ourselves some more. I hope you're learning something and uh, the Lord's pushing in on you. Father, thank you for your love for us you're calling on our lives. I thank you for the men in this room for the honor and privilege of speaking to them and uh, the calling you have on our lives. I thank you for the young faces I see in here who probably don't consider themselves young, um, but I thank you for what you have for them. And I pray for the, the faces of older men in this room. And may each generation in this room challenge the next. There are many in this room who um, are freshly on this journey, who are like a young Moses with a whole lot ahead of him. And I pray you give him wisdom to not be deceived that leads to unbelief and he miss something amazing. Doesn't mean it won't be a good life, but uh, that he'd walk into the place and not just see it from a distance. But there are some some of us in this room who will only see it from a distance. But uh, 
There's a Joshua who needs us to finish the course so he can take up the baton. So help us to run well. Help us to preach well today and work and labor. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day. What? <laughs> it's not sarcastic. <laughs>